0: Hi everyone, it's Amelia Quint. Welcome to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. As always, this is an independent production supported entirely by our wonderful, whip-smart patrons. Over on Patreon, there's a thriving community of mystics and spiritual seekers who want to delve deep into the stars, and you're invited! When you join us, you get instant access to monthly forecasts, horoscopes, taroscopes, bonus episodes, and a chance to ask a question about your personal birth chart in the Q&A video. If that sounds like your cup of tea, head over to patreon.com slash badastro to support us and stay for a spell. Another free way to show your support is to leave a five-star review on iTunes so the algorithm can show this podcast to more people who need a little magic in their lives. And while you're at it, follow astrologers on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest releases. And of course, if what you hear during this episode speaks to you or brightens your day, share it with someone else who you think might fall in love with it too. Now, on to the episode. Today's guest is one of the absolute brightest stars in the astrological world right now. Her lecture on the astrology of radical self-care at last year's NORWAC that's Northwest Astrological Conference for the Uninitiated, took the community by storm, and for good reason. She may have a shy 12th house son, but her passion for this work and her deep, resonant knowledge shines through. That's right, I'm talking about none other than Diana Rose Harper, also known as At Damashena, that's 2D's A-M-A-S-C-E-N-double-A. We talk about the astrology of self-care during these troubled astrological times, finding your energetic boundaries through the natal chart, and how the moon can be a source of powerful healing and comfort right now. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We were planning to record this as an audio-only experience, per usual, but the stars intervened, and we ended up doing it via Zoom, and it felt so much more magical. So in the coming days, the video will be available on Patreon, so go ahead and join us if that sounds like fun to you. We talk about vintage chairs and our Game of Thrones opinions, and we laugh a lot. It was truly a joy, and I hope it brings you joy too. So sit back, relax, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. Hello, Diana. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm Bad Astrologers.
1: Hi, Amelia. It's like really, I'm stoked to be here. I'm stoked. Yeah.
0: It's been fun already. This is our first ever uh, video podcast via Zoom um, because the Mercury Pluto square today decided to throw us
1: a curveball, but we caught it. Yeah, and now we get to smile at each other the whole time. It's gonna be exactly
0: (laughs) It's just gonna be a love fest, (laughs) which is what bad astrologers usually is Um, It's it's lovely. Okay, so in true bad astrologers fashion I'm gonna ask you the traditional opening question Which is what is your earliest memory of being drawn to astrology or tarot or? spirituality in general (sighs)
1: so my earliest memory, um, and this is one that actually kind of it reemerged like within the past couple of years. My earliest memory is being with my mom at my mom's friend's house um, and my mom's friend had those like animal spirit that like those animal spirit cards like those really like the ones that came before like the more contemporary upsurge. Like these ones? No, similar, Uh, similar. Um, I have to look them up at some point and actually like tell people what they are. Um, They have have, like the um, they have like the uh, the dream catcher with like the bison in it on the back of the cards. Yeah, the ones that I just showed you
0: have the same author, maybe? Oh, it's animal medicine cards. Animal medicine cards. Ones. Yeah, I was
1: thinking okay. that one. Um, yeah, absolutely. Those are the ones. I just Googled them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my mom's friend had those cards at her house, and I just thought they were really cool. Um, and my dad was also, like, kind of mystic. He wasn't super present, but he was mystically oriented. Um, and actually, this was after having experienced those cards at my mom's house, a few years later, a few years in child time might have just been six months. You know, <laughs> yes. um, my dad had shared with me a mantra, which like I've tried to remember over the years, but I've never been able to recall it. But he shared with oh. me this mantra and he told me that I should chant it when I wake up in the morning with my feet facing the Facing the sunrise, and I have this memory of doing that and like buzzing all over, just like electrified, Um, and then freaking out, and then landing on my bed. So like like a really early experience of what I would understand to be like levitation, but I've like I immediately forgot what the mantra was, and I have never experienced anything exactly like that since then.
0: That That is so (laughs) incredible. You accidentally levitated (laughs) because
1: the energy was too strong
0: and you landed Mm -hmm. on your bed. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, I like haven't shared that publicly before, I don't think. But yeah, that was I would say that was uh, that's like the most significant early, definitely non normal reality type experience that I can Mm -hmm. recall. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing
0: it with us. I feel yeah. special. Um, I think it's incredible the things that our child selves are just naturally tapped into. I hear that a lot that I was, you know, I was so young and I didn't really know. And then it, it just seemed natural or normal yeah. at the time.
1: Well, like. I mean, it is a, like a natural state of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, there's so much like curiosity and interconnectivity that is available to mm-hmm. us. I mean, we can even think of this in terms of like, the process of um, growing into Saturn. Yeah, right. Where it's absolutely like those first like seven years before your first Saturn square, you're still kind of like a mushy, formable, like permeable being and then that first Saturn square starts to cohere you into something that can fit inside of consensus reality. Which That's amazing.
0: I had never really thought about it before. I've talked on this podcast about how I I think it's all the mutability in my i and not very connected to um, embodiment or even concrete reality that much of the time. It's all happening up here in the mind. And so those connections with material reality, like you said, before age seven, and especially when you're a young child, your whole you know, your cranium isn't even solid Mm -hmm. yet. Um, So the process of growing into Saturn, that's kind of amazing. And of course you would like innately understand growing into Saturn as a concept since you have Capricorn rising.
1: Yes, but what's wild is I didn't think I was a Capricorn rising for a while, for like a long time. What did you think you were? I thought I was Sagittarius rising. Wow. My mom shared with me kind of like a guesstimated birth time. Um, And when I was first into astrology, I thought Sagittarius was so much more fun than Capricorn. So whenever I was like looking at my chart, I just decided for myself that I was going to go with a birth time. That meant I was a Sagittarius rising because my mom said it's like somewhere between like 915 and 930 in the morning. Okay, which is
0: not that big of a time
1: frame. It's not that big of a time frame. So I just chose the, you know, chose a time that meant I was sad raising. And then I, it was in 2018 actually that, um, wow. which like, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Hold on. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> like I was looking for my uh, voter registration card. Um, And just happened to come across an envelope of like important documents that my grandmother had sent me that I just had never opened because I didn't need them in the moment. She just wanted to make sure I had them. Mm -hmm. Um, And in there was a copy of my birth certificate with my actual birth time. And when I input it, I was a Capricorn first degree, like 47 minutes into Capricorn.
0: Holy shit, that is amazing. And And this is well into your astrological studies. This is well into my
1: astrological studies at this point. So I had to like completely reconfigure my self-concept, maybe not completely, but in a lot of ways. Like my planets Mm -hmm. were still in the same places, like the same signs, but the houses all shifted, um, Mm -hmm. made me make a lot more sense. But what's really funny is um, at that point, Saturn had been in Capricorn for like a couple of months. And I thought I was having a second house Saturn return, but I was actually having a first house Saturn return. And the first major story was my ascendant being in a different sign.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, that is the best story ever!
1: Amazing, amazing. I was just like, like you cannot make this shit up. It's like so.
0: Yeah. yeah, I guess it did come in and just like completely restructure your, your self-concept
1: enti- entirely. Yep. yep, my entire self-concept had to get reframed. But it was like, it, this is one of the interesting things. And I'll talk about this with clients sometimes. The Saturn return for a day chart person, in, and especially a day chart person who has like Saturn and a Saturn ruled sign, mm-hmm. had a higher likelihood of feeling like a release like a release into self or like an mm-hmm. un-thing of some sort. Whereas for night chart people, there might be more of that sensation of getting clamped, clamped down yeah. um, in some way. And even though at like before, prior to that time I was like Sagittarius is more fun, so I should be a Sag rising and trying really hard to be an extroverted person that I'm not. <clears throat> I, I thought I thought I was a Sag sun, moon, rising and Mercury. And I was like I should be way more extra than I am.
0: I was going to say, you are not that extra, like I mean. there's a <laughs> reservedness like that shields and, you know, an inner yeah. wild side.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but in any case, um, finding out that I was a cap instead of a satirizing, one of the ways that I've described it is um, it was like taking off a sweater that you didn't realize was a little too tight and a little too itchy.
0: Oh, amazing. Like the turtleneck that's just kind of strangling you a little bit and you switch your outfit, you're like, yes.
1: And for whatever reason, like the turtleneck seam is just like a little bit scritchy, too. Yeah. It's a little tight and it's a little scritchy. And then you take it off and you're like, oh, wow. Okay, this is why I've been so irritable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's
0: incredible.
1: And then I had a reading with Kelly Surtees that I had already scheduled before my birth time revelation. So I like told her, obviously. Um, Perfect timing. Yeah. And so she was the first person to read my actual chart with me, which was just amazing because she's amazing.
0: What a lovely first person to have Mm -hmm. read your chart. I have like an astrologers uh, read my chart wish list, Mm -hmm. which is totally normal and not weird at all. Um, And she's on that.
1: No, it totally is is normal. I mean, I feel like um, I was actually just having this conversation with someone. um, And I always like talking about this in public, because I really want people who are students of astrology to give themselves permission to get readings from other astrologers, from professional astrologers, from a whole swath of people. Because I have found and I feel like a lot of the people, like a lot of the astrologers that I'm friends with, like they share the same thing where like the further you get in practice or in study, the more readings you actually want from other people. And it's not from that graspy, like what is life? What do I mean? Like what is all, like it's not that kind of like asking the same question from like 16 different tarot readers because none of them are giving you the answer that you want. Like that's different. Yeah, an understanding that like there is so much nuance and there is so much richness in your chart. You individually are never going to see everything possible that is living inside your chart. Mm. Um, but other people with other perspectives, particularly professionals who have like experience of looking at charts, like they're going to pick up on things that are, that might just be utterly life-changing or just like adding just a little bit more I don't know, detail and shading to your self-comprehension as well as enhancing your understanding of astrology overall. Like I don't know. I'm like I'm like okay, how much money do I need to make to get this many readings from other people a year? Like that's where I'm at. <laughs> Had that
0: thought just today. I was looking at my budget with the Mercury Pluto square, which Pluto is mm-hmm. in my second house and I was like Okay, how much more money do I need to make per month to buy like this maybe on a monthly or a quarterly basis? And mm-hmm. I'm glad to know that it's totally normal to have that astrologer's wish list. I think yeah. you're 100% right. It completely enhances your understanding, not just of your own chart, but of astrology as a practice. Mm-hmm. Like as I have, I've been talking to students about this especially, you know, the beautiful thing about astrology is that it's unique to the individual that's providing the reading. And they have a different brain than you. They have a different lived experience than you. They have different interests. They think different parts of the chart are cool, right? Than you do. So just those little flavors can help you see something that maybe you would have overlooked, or maybe they can just express it in a way that shows it to you completely anew.
1: Yeah. I mean, even just using different metaphors for the exact same configuration can unlock like a whole, I don't know. It's like opening up a door, but behind the door mm-hmm. is like an entire world. <laughs> you, you actually have the right metaphor.
0: <laughs> you actually did this for me the other day and didn't even know it because you were on um, Kira's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the Astrology Show with Charm Torres, who I also love and admire. Um, and you were talking about Venus placements. And so my Venus is super central to my chart. Venus in Virgo on the Midheaven, almost exact, like within a degree. And um, you mentioned, um, I think it was Dimitra George had um, conceptualized Venus in Virgo as the psyche and Eros story of having no. to sort of jump through hoops mm-hmm. for love
1: yeah it was gray crawford actually oh uh, okay good yeah i mean i don't know maybe Dimitra has made that connection too i wouldn't be surprised but the okay. the person in particular gray crawford who did a talk at Norwalk, 2019 about okay. um the eros and psyche myth um as part of understanding venus and virgo that is so exciting
0: I, so- i've never heard a myth explain that specific placement as well as that Mm -hmm. it was just so this friends, this is why we listen to astrology podcasts. This is why (laughs) you get readings. This is why you buy resources because, um, I do this for a living and it just completely blew my mind in a way that I was not at all prepared for. It was great. Um, one thing I love about your practice that I think is really interesting is that it's very holistic. Um, You use different modalities. You draw in tarot, you have Reiki, and I know you've mentioned there's a little bit of magic in there. Mm -hmm. Um, What made you decide to do all of those offerings instead of just astrology? And do you sometimes weave them together?
1: Yeah, um, I do often weave them together. Um, And it's interesting, too, like... um, In the majority of my astrological sessions, I won't necessarily, like with clients, I won't necessarily be bringing in um, like explicitly other things, but every now and then it comes up. And like one of the things that I have found is I, um, I tend to get a lot of people who have signatures in their chart that I would say point to a need for energetic hygiene or energetic protection and boundary work and things like that and so whenever that's really prominent in both someone's chart and what they are presenting like what they're coming to me to like talk about then sometimes we might actually incorporate like you know energy work practices that they can do um Mm -hmm. as part of their kind of like post astro session homework if they feel you know called to actually engage with it um but To kind of answer the first part of your question, though, like why all of Mm -hmm. the things? (laughs) yeah, Um, It's because I feel like I, well, in astrological terms, I have Uranus on the Ascendant. And that can look like um, being a bit allergic to really firm categorizations unless they have good reasoning to exist. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you can absolutely practice astrology without ever incorporating anything else, like any other practices, but I think it is generally accepted that your astrological practice improves if you have education and interests that are non-specifically astrological, but that can feed into how you create meaning astrologically speaking. So like even talking about mythology, for example, which is not necessarily innate to astrology. Like there are hyper-technical ways of approaching astrology that where myths absolutely never play a role. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But, there's a richness that becomes available whenever you allow things like mythology and fairy tales and like even comparative religions and things like that to feed into how you understand the different symbols and significations that astrology is made up of. Um, so that's kind of already part of it. Like my, like my brain is already oriented towards um, collecting and weaving ideas from different places together to kind of create new or different or weird ideas from from that merging from that weaving um, Part of it too is like I actually started with Tarot, right? So like, you know, those cards at my mom's friend's house, like Mm -hmm. when I was eight, I ended up um, taking my allowance money from pulling dandelions in my grandmother's front yard. Um, (laughs) I took that money to Barnes & Noble and I bought myself a tarot deck. That Um, is adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just like the images of tarot, I think are just so rich and meaningful and kind of like really amazing gateways into different explorations. Um, And so I was actually like a tarot reader before I ever claimed the title of astrologer. Um, And I started doing astrology as like explicitly astro tarot sessions where we would use astrology and tarot together. Um, And it took me some time to be comfortable doing astrology only without tarot because tarot has been so foundational to how I, comprehend different components of, I guess, like human existence and human thinking, um, Mm -hmm. that I wanted to continue using that tool, even within a framework that also involved astrology. Um, so, I mean, tarot is just so foundational. I can't, like, I'm not ever going to let, I'm not ever going to have tarot be an important part of my life. That is a weird way of saying that tarot is always going to be important to me in my life. And yes. practice. That is a more clear way of saying that. Um, and then when it comes to energy work, I started training in Reiki before I ever even considered doing any of these things f- for other people for money. Um, Interesting. And, um, that came about because I had a spontaneous situation where, um, I unintentionally uh, provided an energy healing session to someone um, and it just like laid me out. Like it was very potent. It was very effective. And I was like sleeping 12 hours a night for like three nights in a row and just like a zombie at work. And just like. Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those things where I was like, if this can happen by accident, i need to know about it so it doesn't like literally kill me. Um, yeah. And so that totally pushed me into exploring different forms of energy work. Um, based like within a week of that event happening, um, there was a free Reiki clinic happening, connected with some people that I knew. So I went to that and yeah. I talked to those people mm-hmm. and they were like, oh yeah, our teacher is this person and she happens to be like facilitating this like mini healing conference in like a month. So I went to that, I had conversations with her and then I started training in Reiki. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know, like, I don't even know how to explain magic um, and magic's importance to me. Um, Because that's not something I have really thought about, like, in terms of a Mm. timeline of, like, engaging with magical practice.
0: As far as engaging with magical practice, was it sort of After the Reiki or before? Has it been a constant for you? Maybe.
1: Um, I'm just like I'm like flipping through basically places that I've lived (laughs) in my head because that's a useful way for me to remember (laughs) what was happening when in my life because I've I did the same thing. (laughs) Um, I feel like I feel like magical practice really began it began before Reiki Um, and it was it like it would it started like kind of coming through for me in terms of writing. And now that I say that, I would say that it's been it's older than I think I could then I would be able. Then I'm initially thinking, I guess, like I'm literally thinking Mm -hmm. on the fly right now. but I would I say that, yeah, oh, the writing ahead. process is part of, is part of how, um, how do I put this? Like the other world has like slipped in, like or like inserted mm-hmm. itself into my world. Um, yeah. And then through writing also um, impacting my world, right? Like writing yeah. as a magical act, um, but not being fully conscious that that's what was happening. It's like in hindsight, wow. you can see that that's what was happening. Like the intention component of that, I would say, really started. Like intentionally engaging magically and spiritually with. Um, deliberately working with the field of known and unknown things towards change. Like I would say that mm-hmm. happened started happening probably in like 2013, 2014 um, so, like kind really, of around really the Neptune
0: and the Pisces moment,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Which is my third house, which is the house of the goddess and ritual Her activity. <laughs> like, and daily ritual I'll... activity.
0: Wow, writing his magical mm-hmm. ritual with Neptune in the third is yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's so wonderful for you to sort of talk through this and think through this on the fly, um, because it, questions that I get asked a lot are kind of similar Uh, you know, how do I start a magical practice? How did you start a magical practice? Um, What does that look like? Where do I begin? And I think that when you are engaging with forces that are in the subtle world or occulted in some way, it isn't always straightforward. It has that Neptunian quality of being Mm -hmm. kind of slippery and hard to pin down and You know, time is just a construct. So how do we even put it within those terms anyways?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's also there's also the fact that um, I I mean, maybe it's not really a fact, but mm, the happenstance, maybe um, Mm -hmm. that if if magical practice is part of this lifetime for you, you will engage with it whether or not you intend to, like, you don't have to plan it.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like Mm
1: -hmm. it comes towards you. I mean, in my experience, right, it comes towards you and it calls you and it teaches you along the way.
0: Mm -hmm. I I co-sign that all the way. I that has been my experience as well. I, I did not. It was something that was always there even mm-hmm. when I was a very young child, all the way up through adulthood, and even in periods where I was even quite religious, like there was things I couldn't explain. Yep. I've always had, you know, dreams that eventually came true or seeing stuff, you know, that yep. if that is a part of your life, it's not going anywhere.
1: Yeah. Right? And like you saying that is also reminding me, like reaching further back, like I've always had um, a sensation of connectivity with like certain kinds of land like certain places Um, and I think that's another way that the like more than consensual reality I guess kind of will feed in and Mm -hmm. like one way to kind of assess maybe for yourself like I don't think everyone as a child has like these magical experiences. Right, like I think mm-hmm. there is definitely a greater permeability and a greater um, opportunity maybe for cultivating those things whenever you are at a more childlike place. Um, yeah. But it is not a universal child experience to like have conversations with trees. Nope. Afraid not, <laughs> you know? um, and that's something that was definitely like part of my childhood experience. Um, particularly, um, you know, when I was little, relatively little, my grandparents and I would go on these like uh, camping road trips, and like they lived in a house that, like the 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 back of their property, um, abutted this piece of undeveloped like mostly undeveloped land um, Mm -hmm. that was mostly trees and there was like a pond and blackberry bushes and like horrible mosquitoes and like lots of like I know those places yeah (laughs) um and you know just like being kind of in that space just like felt right to me as a kid Right. Mm-hmm. Like going and like capturing a tortoise and like feeding it for a day and then putting it back in the woods. <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> That's like so cute. like
1: giving it way too much, like, you know, carrots and romaine lettuce and probably causing it to have like a total weird sugar spike, like whatever. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but thinking of it as a, like I'm doing this nice thing for this wild animal, which like probably eats fine otherwise. But maybe, you know, I've increased its lifespan a little bit by giving it people carrots, you know, like people food, mm-hmm. um, like, I don't know, like, I think that is, it's not magic in, in the sense of um, participating intentionally in within existence in order to influence change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it is magical in the sense of participating with the rest of existence in a way that is not um, not so scientifically materialist. Mm
0: -hmm. I totally totally see that, and I especially love it within your chart because you have that what is that Uranus Neptune conjunction, just like right?
1: Yeah, so Uranus. I have a Uranus. Uh, ascendant conjunction, um, okay, and then about. I mean, I guess yeah. That's like about seven degrees like later. seven degrees. I have, is it? Yeah. I have a Saturn Neptune conjunction. Okay, yeah, and the, yes. the, the Saturn Neptune yes, yes. conjunction is closer than the Uranus um, ascendant conjunction.
0: When I saw all those things in your first house, I just thought, especially the Uranus on the ascendant, like your story about accidentally like levitating because you <laughs> tapped into too much energy is like the ultra you're, you're like a, like a wire, right? Mm. And that electricity of life can just zoom right through you and yeah. activate you in this like extremely intense way. And it's um, kind
1: of, yeah, yeah. actually like related to that. One of the things uh-huh. that I, um, had a revelation around at some point in the last like 12 months, um, time is weird. Um, is that, <laughs> uh, my, my, Ascendant is essentially flanked by Uranus and Mercury. Like Mercury was the planet that had most Uh recently risen and is still in the 12th house um, at the moment of my birth and Uranus is approaching that rising place. Um, And I spent like a solid like 2 weeks like really thinking about this. Um, because Uranus and Mercury both get associated with the nervous system and with communication, both like, you know, super mundane communication as well as more spooky forms of communication. Yes. Spooky <laughs> um,
0: communication. That's the title of this podcast, spooky spooky communication with Diana Rose Murphy.
1: <laughs> I'm here for it. Um But, yeah, just um, thinking about, like, what does that mean whenever, like, those nervous system, like, communicative planets are flanking the ascendant, which represents the moment that the body is inspirited to a certain degree, right? Like, the moment that the body becomes its own entity in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Like, no wonder I have to, like, drink lots of water and, like, I, my life goes better when I actively take care of my nervous system, right? Like, mm-hmm. like accessing deeper levels of relaxation directly allows me to do different kinds of communicative, communication work. And when I've been doing too much communication work, I have to like lay on the floor.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like literally become one with the ground. Like, okay, yeah. this is what grounding is, right? That's how you yeah. do it.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, my totally. gosh. Totally.
0: That's that is incredible. I honestly I'm kind of just stand your chart. I'm obsessed with it. There's so <laughs> much happening there. Um, but I, I love this story about um, you know, communication and the nervous system. I'm really intrigued by this discussion because one of my sort of secret, not so secret, special interests in astrology is um indicators of we could call it magical ability or maybe um, proclivities towards Mm -hmm. that Um, psychic ability, um, intuition, and even just um, sensitivity and instinct. Um, And I use asteroids a lot for that, but of course the outer outer planets are super in tune. So I was early on in the discussion when you mentioned that you tend to attract people who need better energetic, boundaries or they're having some um, maybe energy field related issue. My immediate thought was, I wonder if they have any of those indicators that I'm always looking for Like, do you just find them? Do they
1: just flock to you? Right? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, that's actually That's actually a really excellent question and is a research thing that like we should probably discuss like outside of the boundaries of this podcast, (laughs) Um, because that's something that um, like as somebody who teaches on like radical self care and has taught on energetic hygiene um, in various ways um, in the past, like that's been something that I've been getting more curious about. Like I actually did this thing um, this summer for um, an artist residency that I'm semi connected with. where I just like did um, like about two hours of really short readings for people like aimed exactly at like energetic hygiene um, and energetic Mm -hmm. boundaries stuff. Um, And just like noticing different patterns that Mm -hmm. come up um, that are connected to people who, would be like, yes, I need energetic boundary work um, or like mm-hmm. help with this as well as then, you know, people who may not be fully aware that they need that help. Like, you know, and like when people just come to me being like, why are my relationships weird? And it's just like, I don't know, how are your energetic boundaries? Like, do you see this Neptune thing that's happening in your chart? Right? Yeah, like, <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's, it would be amazing, for example, like if you wanted to collaborate, um, Absolutely. we get, We can talk about that. I have some ideas. Yeah, like, that's, that's the
0: Patreon-only content. Um, yeah. yeah. Next yeah. time, I'm coming back to you with it. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> While we're talking about energetic boundaries and self-care, I know that you did the most wonderful, you've done the most wonderful talks on radical self-care. And this year, you have been on this kind of incredible radical self-care press tour. Um, so to speak, (laughs) which is super cool. Um, But I wanted to dive into specifically the moon as it relates to self-care. This is an area of study for me too. And it's, it's the lunar day. It's Monday and your Mm -hmm. name is Diana. So you're basically a moon goddess. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we dig into that? Um, yeah. So I know that you said that, um, you had been sort of, pushed by the universe into taking better care of the moon in your chart. And I I love that phrasing. I was really intrigued by it. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that phrasing means to you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how so we can take care of the moon in our charts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Um, wow. Where do I begin? Well, one of the things that I think sometimes gets underemphasized um, is the moon's direct relationship with our bodies. Yes. Right. Like I think very often, you know, we'll talk about our feelings and our emotions and like how we like this like abstracted idea of nourishment. Um, but like our emotions and our feelings and nourishment, it all happens in the body. It's of the body.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Um, And one of the one of the things that I've been experiencing like this past year, especially, um, is a necessity to actually attend to my body because my Mm -hmm. body's needs um, have been such that they are impacting my ability to do things other than my tend to my body's needs, right? Mm -hmm. So um, like, you know, primarily within that like, I've just been really tired. Um, And there's like a lot of good reasons for that. Like before, like, so I'm coming up on the year anniversary of um, being in one place, right? Of like having signed a lease and being in one place. And prior to that, like in 2019, I slept in 13 different states and Montreal like I was just traveling 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 and I was like you know starting in like December actually before that starting in like August of 2018 I had a period of what I like to call being unleashed because I didn't Hmm. have a lease. Because I was like, I don't know where I want to be. I didn't want to stay in Chicago anymore. Like I went to Vermont and house sat for like five months. And it was beautiful and gorgeous and also not where I wanted to live. Um, Yeah. You know, just like. Was really trying to sort out what home could feel like and what home could be. And, you know, even prior to that, the entire time I lived in Chicago, I lived in Chicago for a decade. I didn't live in a single apartment for longer than about 18 months that entire time. Wow. Yeah. So I was just like moving around, moving around, moving around, um, feeling different kinds of unsettled. Um, And then, you know, in 2018, 2019, that was also when I was... um, you know, really taking my practice more seriously Mm -hmm. and like teaching different places and really trying to like put in the work to get to a level of um, relative stability with this practice, like with this work, like knowing like, I'm not uh, an employee kind of person. I prefer to work for myself Um, or like, Maybe not work for myself. I prefer to not have a boss other than the yes. cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> totally um,
0: understandable. Very yeah. Capricorn rising. Yeah,
1: mode. yeah, and also Uranus rising. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and so finally being in one place, you know, being in this place where I live now, um, it was like I was being still long enough that the impacts of like the past several years could finally be addressed Mm -hmm. right and it was being just tired just really tired (laughs) um and on top of that i also um did a bunch of um pretty intense writing projects early in 2020 um Mm -hmm. and was doing those projects simultaneous with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction happening on my Venus, the south node passing over my Ascendant. Um, (laughs) Of course you needed um, to sleep, holy crap. And also being in a year ruled by the moon, like a lunar perfected year. Um, And like, there are some other factors that like fit into that um, on a personal level. And then you add like what's happening on a collective level Mm-hmm. at the same time it was just like tired i'm so tired i'm just so tired <laughs> and um it just took me a while to get to the point of being like okay if i'm tired even if I'm sleeping a decent amount of time, like decent amount of time and I'm consuming enough caffeine, um, yes, then maybe there's something there's something else happening here. There's different kinds of care that needs to happen. And that required me to just like actually turn to my body. And instead of being like, why are you holding me back being like, well, what do you need?
0: I'm tearing up because I'm also in the lunar perfection year and that has that has been the story <laughs> mm-hmm. on like a cellular level. So I'm, yeah. I am glad that you heard the call of, of the body. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, I've been, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been helped by the fact like I've been working with Sarah Corbett, who is an incredible clinical herbalist um, since January um, mm. in various, I mean, February, whatever. Um, in various ways to address different things. And like, it's been absolutely instrumental, but it's also been like, it's been a slow process too. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a process of like, like there's this idea that um, if you've had a chronic condition of, Mm -hmm. of some kind and you're finally in a position to be able to like heal and attend to it, for every year that you've had that chronic condition, it's going to take at least a month of tending in order to reachieve balance or achieve a different level or a different kind of wellness around that issue. Um, wow. And, you know, working with Sarah has really helped point out, like, it's not just like the past few years of being busy and like not really sitting still. It's also like lifelong chronic stress of various kinds. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm 30. So that means it's going to take me over two years of tending to... Mm-hmm like really process through all of these different things that are potentially impacting my physical vitality levels at this point in the game. Mm. So there's that. Um, And then there's also, I think, I think it's really interesting to think about the Capricorn cancer axis whenever you're, In a lunar perfection, but also whenever you're navigating body things because the moon rules cancer and is in fall, Mm -hmm. like is in detriment in Capricorn, right? Like um, is in exile, like that's one way to think of it. It's like an antithesis. It's in the place that is opposite to its nature. I love the phrase
0: antithesis. I feel like that explains it so much better than
1: fall. I agree. (laughs) I agree. Um, And it's like, okay, so if I'm Capricorn rising, and I have Saturn in Capricorn, and I have a dominance of things hanging out in Capricorn, and my moon is in the 12th house, which is a kind of hidden place. It's not as easy for me to see it. It's not Mm -hmm. as easy for me to access. And my moon is just three degrees off of, having just been a new moon, right? I was born a few hours after the new moon. Um, it's also kind of scorched by the sun. Yeah. Right. So there's like a lot of factors in my chart that would point to like, not really like it requiring time and effort to actually perceive what my moon is up to and what Mm. my moon needs. And then beyond just perceiving it, allowing it to be a priority because this Capricorn rising thing is like, Sure, really intense, (laughs) particularly (laughs) given like recent space weather situations like that was on my
0: list of things to ask you about is just the simple how are you doing? (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm doing better than I have been at other points in 2020, like definitely better than I have been. Still don't feel like I'm at 100 percent, but definitely better. Um, Mm -hmm. But the better is because I've been like I had this like um this realization because you know within all of the stuff that i've been doing i've also been doing a lot of accidental and and intentional solar work because you know
0: Mm, if yeah like
1: i have this core sense of like you know my work in the world is the important thing but in order for my work in the world to get seen i have to be seen and in order for me to be seen i have to get comfortable with my solar nature which Mm -hmm. Like my moon, my sun is in the twelfth house, um, and we my both son have has, sun
0: in the twelfth house. High five!
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up? Uh, what's good? Um, and my so, you know, my sun also rules the eighth house, um, Ooh, where my south node is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's been a process um, to figure out different ways of accessing solar energy and. Um, developing I wouldn't say comfort so much as tolerance for solar situations and solar acting but it's like as I've strengthened my sun, that also means I'm strengthening my son's ability to really be combusty about my moon right yes. to be really like overpowering mm-hmm. of my moon um, and um, basically I had like a lymph kind of related issue come up Mm -hmm. that involved a skin, like an inflammatory skin, um, like reaction essentially. Um, And it started cropping up around the second Cancer New Moon that happened this year, which was um, Mm -hmm. in July. And, you know, so I started tending to that skin issue. And it was just like, oh, man, what's happening? Like, I don't know. And then literally, it was in what was it, I think it was maybe August twenty fourth. like, literally, like a month later, like a month later, I had this revelation of just like, oh, I have to literally just take care of my moon, right? Like, I've been like doing all of these, like, kind of non-directional or like kind of oblique things to try to care for these things. And it's just like, wait, the central component of all of this is literally the moon. Mm -hmm. Like it's the body, it's dealing with my feelings. It's like letting myself have wax wane cycles personally, right? Like letting myself have like real rest time and understanding that the real rest time is like, needs to be balanced with, like, the full, bright, like, really working hard time, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And, like, along with that, I've, like, been doing mostly daily lunar prayers. Like, I've missed one day since I I had that that. realization. Um, Like, you know, I'm, like, I have, like, this Moonstone bracelet on right now. Like, I'm going to be making, um, like, a lunar, um, like, like a lunar string of prayer beads soon Um, and just being like, okay, like, let me just over the top care for this moon situation. So that way I understand what that can look like and what that means, what it kind of needs to be. And then just like monitoring Mm -hmm. myself, like, you know, as I've had um, like spikes in energy, like catching myself in like Capricorn rising workaholic tendencies and, you know, being like, no, you're not allowed to do that.
0: Like <laughs> I'm gonna need you to stop for a second and think about what you've done. Yeah. yeah think exactly. about your
1: choices and maybe like go. Actually need to work a whole eyes right now. Yes. I don't think that
0: uh oh, you cut out just a just a bit. Are you back? Yes. Okay, we can so. we can edit that. We'll okay. we'll make it work somehow. Okay, um, hold on. Let me write down the time signature of that. Oh, this does not tell me the time. That's okay. I'll find it. Oh, yeah. um, trying to think of how we can get back into this. Oh, I know what I want to ask you about. So mm-hmm. you, you've told me all about your, um, your natal moon and your journey to remediate and really love on that natal moon placement. And hopefully that's someone that all of us can follow and look at our own moon placements. But you mentioned that looking at your progressed moon has been a mm. part of that journey, too. Tell yeah. me more about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, one interesting thing is that in the midst of like doing super travel time in 2019, um, I still can't believe that was just last year. Um, I had my progressed new moon phase. So the progressed... Do I need to explain what progressions are? Would that be useful to just like... Maybe we should. Just like
0: shortly explain what a progression is.
1: So progressions, I love them. Um, The basic idea is that um, like the first 100 days or so after you are born can be mapped onto the 100 years or so of your life in order to comprehend Um, how your natal chart basically unfolds over time, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, when you are uh, 20 years old, you could look at, like, compare the chart of 20 days after your birth to your natal chart to kind of understand what is happening for you in your 20th year. Mm -hmm. So, if you, if that is confusing for you, um, there are, resources on the internet that will help you. um, There are a
0: great many resources. I will link to them. I will also link you to a lovely chart calculator to find out your progress
1: chart. Actually, Greg Crawford is teaching a class on progressions coming up pretty soon. So I'll I'll share that link with you. But um, in any case, the moon is always our fastest mover um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to all things astrology. Um, and so the moon will spend about two and a half years ish per zodiac sign. So you can actually pay attention to like what sign your progressed moon is to um, comprehend certain components of your subjective experience of your life, um, like through the lens of, you know, the sign that it's in and the house that it's in, um, as well as the phase that the moon is in relative to your progressed sun, because your progressed sun is moving around too. Um, And um, depending on what lunar phase you were born under, um, you can expect to have like a lunar phase return every 29-ish years. Mm -hmm. Um, And within that timeframe, you're going to have a progressed new moon experience, which is when the progressed sun, the progressed moon unite with each other. And the lead up to that, the progressed waning moon higher chances that you're going to feel heckin' tired, just generally. Yep. Like, it's a real tired time. You're, like, wrapping up a component of a cycle um, in some way. And then the progressed new moon itself – totally wild experience of just feeling like you really want to shed like everything right you're just like yes let's burn it away <laughs> i'm a new person like torching um, yeah like within a couple of weeks of my progressed new, new moon i like threw out a bunch of clothes and like went shopping because i just could not deal <laughs> <laughs> to wear the things that i had been used to wearing um but my progressed new moon so it happened but it happened in capricorn and so my current progressed moon is in capricorn it's it's you know slowly becoming a waxing crescent in capricorn and as we were just talking about with that cancer capricorn access like the moon is like y'all are too work oriented in capricorn like it's all work all the time or it's like why don't we allow feelings to happen here like why do we always (laughs) need to be concerned (laughs) with just like material reality. It's like, don't you know that, like, feelings are part of material reality? And like, Capricorn's like, no, they're not. They're feelings. It's like, I'm good, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'll pass. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, experientially, like a natal moon in Capricorn person might have a hard time acknowledging that care for the body and nourishment of the body and also the emotional self are important, like our priorities and are participants in doing whatever else capricorn might be up to trying to do in a life Mm -hmm. so then to have the progressed moon in capricorn it like adds a layer of like i have so much other stuff to do why do i also have to tend to my body Mm -hmm. or why do i also need to like do these emotion things But it gives you the benefit of having a certain level of detachment, especially if there's emotional processing and like historical processing Mm -hmm. and trauma processing that needs to happen alongside whatever like body or other feeling related things, other lunar related things um, are up for navigation. And that's absolutely been my experience. Like every time I like remind myself like you are in a lunar perfection and your progressed moon is in Capricorn, I'm like, oh, right. That's why I'm annoyed that I have to cook right now. However, it is work that is an investment in myself <laughs> and in my longevity. So I'm going to do it.
0: I think you've tricked yourself into cooking through uh, <laughs> star logic. You're like, well, <laughs> listen, progressed Capricorn Moon. Do I have news for you? Yeah, this food is going to make you so efficient. You're going to eat it so quickly. It's going to be over soon. And you can get right back to working.
1: Yeah, and it's also, you know, going to help you do the healing you need to do so you have sufficient energy to do that long list of, like, ambitious projects that you have taped to the wall.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Right?
1: Um, And it's also funny because I used to love, like, I historically I love cooking. And, like, every time I'm like, why am I not super into cooking? I'm like, oh, my moon's in Capricorn, like my progress moon's in Capricorn right now. That's why I'm kind of irritated by having to cook. I got a new blender, so, so I don't have to cook as much. And it's great. <laughs> Smoothies oh are so Oh my gosh, fast. <laughs> that
0: is such a mood. I am right there with you, Emily. Like, um, I don't know, maybe it's the Saturn in the first house thing. I'm not sure. It, mm-hmm. But I the blender is my friend. Um, mm-hmm. The Instant Pot is great, like whatever. I felt like I had hacked adulthood when I figured out the slow cooker. Like, did you know that you can just put a bunch of chicken breasts in there with sauce? And it's like you really tried and it feels like it's a home cooked meal.
1: I mean, it is technically a home cooked meal. It's just not an elaborate like you had to be chopping and like sweating over the stove forever. Home cooked. Right. It's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. Like, oh, my God, I can't even like I'm mad at myself for having put off getting a good blender for so long.
0: It's such a a worthy investment.
1: Oh my gosh! I, I highly found recommend. One, like, I just need to brag about this. I need to brag about Please it. I found it, one yes. that was not only was it refurbished, and in the color that I wanted, but I managed to find a twenty five percent off coupon for it. So I got it at such a good deal, and it just.
0: I'm just laughing. It has like a
1: five year warranty. I'm just like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So so I think this is like the Capricorn talent um, because my husband also has Capricorn rising and I call him the deal master. Mm -hmm. He has gotten deals, it's just unreal. And I've got, I've taught him how to shop during retrogrades for like vintage things. So like vintage clothes during Venus retrograde um vintage mm-hmm. electronics during mercury retrograde it's totally a thing he, he can find anything even like expensive amplifiers mm-hmm. or furniture appliances for like half the cost people are yeah. like how do you have such and such
1: and i'm like capricorn magic this capricorn magic this is this chair uh, yeah. right here Beautiful. is a 1920s reproduction of a Chippendale chair that i got for a deal that i don't even want to talk about because it's like embarrassingly good uh- <laughs> I love being able to
0: reap the benefits of this too. Like I've learned how to shop sales really patiently. So the Saj rising thing is like impulse buying Mm -hmm. and I've had to rein that in. I don't know whether it, I don't know what it is. I also have Neptune in the second. So I'm like, this seems romantic and pretty and I'll buy it. Um, Mm -hmm. But the patience of waiting, I got a beautiful, it was like a $350 Italian wool coat for $30. And I've, I've just been waiting. I'm like, Thank you, cold weather. Now I can flaunt my yeah. success. Yeah, that's the progress moon life. in Leo for you. Yeah, that's, that's where so my good. progress moon is right now, and I I love it because it's fun and it's funny and it's it's helped me access my solar side a lot better mm-hmm. um, since I have it in the my sun in the twelfth house. But I am also fearful that it makes me an asshole at times. Yeah. Because oh, go ahead. I'm curious
1: what you have to say about that. <laughs> well, I was just I was just going to say like I have you know this is just conjecture and I think this would be a fun thing for people to think about for themselves in their own lives. Um, mm-hmm. but I think there's something potentially about where the progressed moon is Um, and what you are, what is more easy for you to make manifest in the world? Because the moon Mm -hmm. is the thing that we turn to whenever we are trying to make things real in some way, shape or form. Um, and so to make real, like your own relative sovereignty through like Italian cushiness, right? Like that seems like such a Leo moon, like manifestation, like Mm -hmm. like, literally like making a real thing (laughs) of it. and it also gives us an opportunity to explore embodiments of qualities that we might be uncomfortable with otherwise, mm-hmm. in a way that facilitates getting more comfortable with it. So, like your fear of being an asshole, like why? <laughs> like why do you think that Leo no. energy is uh, is
0: being an asshole? And it's, it's because so you're funny. in the
1: twelfth house, like really, it's true. But also. <laughs>
0: And my two favorite people and favorite mentors, they both have Moon and Leo. So clearly, I don't think that people mm-hmm. who have this placement are assholes. I, in fact, quite admire them. But trying to embody it within myself, you're right, there's something within me um, that says, don't do that, that's not okay, or you shouldn't put yourself um, first like that. So. Mm-hmm. The progressive moon experience is important. It's also, sometimes astrology is funny with like how mundane it is. Like mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was the day that my moon progressed in Celio. I went out and I bought a sports bra that was like highlighter yellow. Most of my clothes are black. <laughs> um, like it, pure Scorpio black wardrobe completely. Like maybe with some pops of red. I would never touch that. But I was like, you know what? I think I need this. I think I'm gonna wear yellow now. And I have so much color In my wardrobe, I have like golds and persimmon and, you know, like turquoise. And I'm like, is this how Leo's feel all the time? Like people, my friends are like, I barely recognize you. What are you, what are you doing differently? I'm like, progressed moon and Leo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. And I also honestly think that could be like a recommendation. Like if somebody Mm -hmm. is struggling with something that seems related to where their progressed moon is, just being like, okay, here's an idea, like, what would a Pisces wear in this situation mm-hmm. and just like experiment with dressing like a Pisces to like you don't even necessarily have to go out in public or like do anything serious with it or just like, I don't know, go grocery shopping dressed like a Pisces just to kind of experience the um, Basically, the, it's like glamour magic, but like the idea Absolutely. is to work from the outside in versus like you putting something on for other people, right, or to influence other people. Like, I think that would, I don't know, like I love that idea. I think that's a great idea.
0: I think that absolutely works. And I, with the progressed moon and Leo, have found the way you dress totally influences your psyche. So even if you're at home taking a Zoom call, if you put on a blazer and like actual pants or shoes, imagine wearing shoes, it will totally change your game. You will experience a Zoom call completely differently. So yeah, I think people, I think everybody listening to this and everybody on Patreon should go and look up their progressed moon. Mm -hmm. and dress like it and see what happens. Yeah. It's the best experiment ever. I'm so excited. I love this. I I feel like this has taken so many exciting turns that I was not expecting. I have so many notes, but I'm just like, you know what? We didn't even need them. Um, (laughs) I think for everybody listening, um, Diana has her Mercury on my ascendant. And part of the reason why I wanted to invite you is because, you know, when I read things that you write or when I've heard you talk on podcasts, it's like, I don't know, it just clicks in a way that it, it makes too much sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. that, it's like you're already inside my brain understanding my <laughs> thoughts, but expressing them through your mouth is very, very odd, but that's what astrologers are, yeah. are there for. That's what you're mm-hmm. supposed to do. So it's, it's a wonderful gift. Um, before you go, I have, I have a couple more questions that I want to wrap up with, but I can't resist. I have to ask. So I had an Instagram Q and A last night. I think we were both doing Q and A's. Yeah. Yesterday
1: was like, it seems like a Q and A day.
0: It really was. I yeah. was like, it's a scorpion moon. I'm bored. I'm feeling social. Let's do it. Um, but multiple people asked me, what did I think about what aspects were I excited for or what did I think about the astrology of 2021? So as we record this mm. during a Mars retrograde, um, moving into a Mercury retrograde, which is Saturn square, everything. And it feels terrible. Is there something in the next year's astrology that you're very much looking
1: forward to? Um Jupiter's a little dip into Pisces. Me too. It's going to feel so good. Yeah, I mean honestly just having Jupiter out of Capricorn, yeah. Like I mean you know, someone, I think it was Austin, Austin Copic, who was like my main astrology teacher, was talking about um, Jupiter and Capricorn as like a buffer for a lot of what's been happening in Capricorn otherwise of just being like, it could like, imagine sure, all of this so year it could be so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> with like Jupiter unable to do anything to support Capricorn or Jupiter squaring all of that stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, oh. Um, But yeah, Jupiter, Jupiter leaving. Capricorn entering Aquarius, which it doesn't really have strong opinions about being in, like, I think that'll be interesting. Um, I'm also looking forward to seeing the continued unfolding of the um, the eclipses in the Gemini Sagittarius axis, actually. You're telling me. (laughs) Like it's (laughs) a little. I mean, it's like a little. um, Like a little. Like oh, I don't know. But at the same time, I feel like um, this is definitely my like Uranus Ascendant talking. Like the kind of chaotic um, reconfiguration of value systems and beliefs which like Mm -hmm. obviously could go in so many different directions and will go in so many different directions depending on like who people are and like where they're at and who they're talking to and things like that. Um, But just already witnessing people getting shaken out of status quo ways of thinking and like, yeah, it's like really uncomfortable whenever you're first shaken out of it. But then all of a sudden possibilities open up that are both you know some of the possibilities are going to be terrifying but some of the possibilities are like oh we can make this real we can make this happen Mm -hmm. like that to me is a really exciting um potentiality for the nodes continuing to be in the gemini sag land land yeah from
0: now on we're not calling them axes we're calling calling them lands lands. you have to send in your herald first (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> the realm. Yeah, let the King know of the that realm that you're gonna be yeah. there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, I I am right there with you. I'm very anxious to see what happens with the. Um, I have my uh, Sagittarius rising and Gemini moon, so mm-hmm. it's it's a big year coming up, and I'm I'm ready to see it. You know, right before um, the nodes moved into the Gemini Sagittarius realm. Uh, earlier this year, <laughs> I read um, Edward Snowden's biography, Permanent mm-hmm. Record. Um, and I immediately looked up his chart, which is totally normal. When you're reading someone's memoir, you, it's required reading. Yeah, um, And he's like the ultra Gemini person, has uh-huh. a huge stellium in Gemini. Of and course. I immediately thought reading it, I was like, I think that this is going to be in some way just the sharing of information that complete changing of ways of thinking about, about information, how it's shared, how it's kept. That is going to be the Gemini story, Mm -hmm. how it ties in with travel and all this. So yeah, very curious. And I mean, I love that. I don't love, actually, that's not a good thing to say. It is interesting to see how immediately the way everyone communicates changed like right away. We're having this conversation like this. Yeah. I feel closer to friends that are on an opposite coast than I do even people in my community. It's just so, it feels very topsy turvy. The mm-hmm. Gemini Sag Access, you called it chaotic. And yeah. I, um, I feel like I can say this because I have it. It is ex- chaos incarnate. Um, but for those who watch The Witcher, it's a lot about learning to control that chaos because um, yeah. you can be a very powerful con. wherever that is in your chart can be a powerful conduit for chaos.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What's funny is um, I've been reading the Witcher books as part of <gasps> my like yes! September sabbatical. Um, love it. I don't think I have any of them on oh yeah, this is the next on nice one person. in the series. I have it right here. Yes, it's so fun. I call it my um, my potato chip reading
0: Potato chip reading. I don't know because it's just just nourishing.
1: I just like consume it
0: I've been it's right over there. I've been reading Jurassic Park. Oh my god um, amazing What is delightful and an incredible study in you know because Michael Crichton wrote the book and also the screenplay yeah so you can see the differences
1: there's another michael Crichton book that i actually think would be really fun and like plays into this like gemini sagittarius chaos concept yes um, the book is called timeline and it's about time travel and um Love it I don't already. To spoiler it but it's like there's like quantum physics involved and also like um english warfare and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I know. really
0: excited about this' yes. I'm like you've just named all of my interests like English <laughs> warfare, time travel, I'm in I think that yeah. sounds great. I'll totally read it. Also isn't it wild that as soon as we had, I know that it isn't this is debatable. So as soon as Saturn entered Aquarius, it was just like slowly but surely we kept getting these uh, news headlines about UFOs and uh-huh. space and such things. I'm waiting. I'm waiting patiently for Jupiter and Aquarius and then Pluto and Aquarius. Yeah. Then all these chaotic things we're discussing will really, really yeah. take off.
1: Whatever, like science fiction becomes like prophetic, that's always like an interesting. <laughs>
0: It's so magic. It is so yep. terrifying. But mm-hmm. I think that's why we read it, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's why we do anything. Yeah.
0: This has been so much fun. I feel like this is a good place to end. You'll have to. Yeah. Um, I wish we had recorded it earlier. We were discussing our Game of Thrones hot takes, <laughs> um, but they were too spicy to be included in the main version of the podcast. Sorry. You'll just have to wonder what yeah. we think.
1: Mm-hmm you can guess <laughs> like actually that could be really fun especially uh for like patreon folks um like what do you think yeah, our, what do our, you think our our game of thrones hot takes are
0: yeah some people know mine i think i posted about it once on twitter but <laughs> nobody is looking that closely hopefully no one hopefully is. nobody's a, looking
1: that closely this is
0: our 12th house sun stalking like of course no one's looked that close don't look on at us like,
1: stop looking at us like just stop it stop But stay cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, amazing. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much.
1: It's been so much fun, Amelia. I'm really glad that, I don't know, I'm glad to be connected with you, even if it is on different, literally different coasts.